Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore. And the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Touched by Kalach. Rickson's got a kick. Celtic couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Tail goes to Spencer. What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. He's You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Good to have your company for episode 23 of Shim, Spider, and so much more. Hasn't that gone quickly? What a week in mm. football. Newcastle Jets, potential new owners pulling out of the deal. The A-League remains without its much-coveted independence. And the great Paolo Rossi passed away as well. For those of us of a certain age, part of our childhood, I think, died too this week. Later on, we've got another member of the Golden Generation in Luke Wilkshire as our special guest. Before that, our regular duo from the Golden Generation, or should that be the GGs in case of Spider, uh, will run the rule <laughs> over the week's happenings in football. Jelko Kalats turning 48 on Wednesday. Craig Moore turned 45 on Saturday. How was your birthday yeah. bash, Maury? Tenants lager all round? Mate, I remember when I could at least drink 10 cans of Tenants Lager. Mate, I, 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 could, I could only manage three this time around. But uh, that was quiet at the in-laws. A few cans of Tenants Lager and a, a carry-out Indian, Simon. Eh? Times have carry changed. Carry-out Indian. Jeez, you get <laughs> old glory. Is that, that takeaway? <laughs> mate, takeaway. Has take to be, away. doesn't it? Has to be. Were, were you on the Iron Brew as well? <laughs> I didn't. I, no, I, I just stick to the, the, the Tenants. But yeah, right. the Iron Brew, it's always handy here in Scotland, as you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Spider, you you still in lockdown over there? Yeah, we're sort of still in this mini lockdown, mate. But we're, we're getting there. Uh, we're getting some good news that we will start playing in January. So that's fantastic. Well, hey. So yeah, we're, we're, almost, we're almost down. Uh, it's almost like an Australian pre-season, to be fair. It'll be a four-month pre-season Six months. by the time we start. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least you've got no excuses when it does kick off. You've got to be ready. Uh, all right, let's get on with it. First up is Hard Talk. Hard Talk. 
Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgates, which has been live streaming since 2008, specializing in custom-built stream pages, pay-per-view, and multi-language streaming. They can cater to large online conferences with multiple simultaneous streams and destinations, including all social media channels, servicing clients Australia-wide. Go to streamgate.com.au, or you can find them on Instagram. So, guys, the first item on the agenda today, as it seems to be most weeks, is this unbundling of the A-Lega saga, which started, I think, when I was clean-shaven. Um, Sydney FC CEO Danny Townsend confirming this week on Twitter when uh, challenged about the lack of uh, advertising and um, general visibility for the upcoming A-League season, confirmed this week that independence was still not done. Now, Joseph Carozzi of, of the FA board also on Twitter pointed out fairly that this had been on the agenda for 40 years and that uh, it was about to get done and that goodwill was there on all, all sides. But the quote from James Johnson is the one that we keep coming back to. If we don't get this done before the A-League season starts we may as well not bother. We're less than two weeks away, guys. What's going on? Mm. Yeah. It's, a di- it's a difficult one, ain't it? Uh, we, we keep waiting and I think everyone, and I think the people in charge as well, when they get these questions thrown at them by Twitter, I think it, the people out there are actually in frustration as well because there are a lot of people out there that care for the game as, mm. as much mm. as we do on the pod here. Mm. And that's what, that's what we're talking about. They do actually care for the game and they actually want some sort of answers. And when they're not getting it, you know what we like. We get more and more frustrated. Yeah, and, and I poked uh, I poked the bear a little bit, Spider, on, on Twitter um, with, <laughs> with Danny, just, just to find out, like it says, where, where we were kind of at and, and what the difficulties were because... Um, I mean, we'd obviously not seen the, the, the whole picture uh, for, for there to be still complications or maybe there's not complications, but for something not to be uh, locked away uh, at this stage, um, it is a little bit frustrating because, and it'll be frustrating for the, for the clubs as well because they want that clean breakaway. They want to know uh, exactly what their future looks like so that they can start to generate the revenue and, and sponsorship deals and all those kind of things. But Simon, as you touch on, mate, less than two weeks away, um, you know, we, we, we need a decision. Mr. Carozzi, I had to have a laugh at one of, one of his tweets when he was talking about the, the state of origin. It's great to see the Reds against the, the, the Blues. I'm not sure what state of origin he was talking about. Um, but Spides, is, is it not the Blues be the Maroons? Well, it always has been, but uh, unless he was talking about rugby union. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't the Queensland Reds the rugby union That's team? right. It is. Yeah. That's, that's right. Um, yeah, far out. Just, just to bring us back to the, to the football for a moment, I, I think the frustration on, on the lack of independence is, is twofold, isn't it? First of all, they keep, they keep being these, these deadlines thrown out there. We're going we're gonna to be done by the end of June. We're going to be done by the end of September. It's going to be finished by the start of the season. It's going to be done by the end of the season. Um, they've, they just continually miss these deadlines. And mm. the fans are in the dark as to why. No, nobody ever says... Mm. You know, we're, we're frustrated that we haven't made the deadline. It just mm-hmm. sort of drifts into the, into the next one. That's one of the frustrations. I think the second one is that it seems pretty clear to me that the clubs uh, are not going to, you know, go on to the next level until they get mm-hmm. that independence. Therefore, you know, we've got this A-League season hoving into view and there's not a lot of publicity about it. And fans are going, mm-hmm. well, 
you know, we're, we're passionate, as Spider says, about the game. We want mm-hmm. to know about the game. We want it to get, get on to the next level. And it's just not happening. And I think, to be fair, you know, those stakeholders, and they're the majority stakeholders, the supporters mm-hmm. and the people who play the game, they deserve some answers as to why it's not happening. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's a, it becomes a confidence thing, Simon, as well, within the game in terms of when you keep missing deadlines. It's, mm. it's, no, it's no different a coach saying to a player, by, listen, listen, son, I'm going to play you next weekend. Don't play you. Like, it's, 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 it's a confidence thing. We need confidence within the game. And at the moment, missing important deadlines and not giving the game um, and, and the, the future of the game any real confidence from the people that are going to support it. Absolutely. And, th- and this is the thing we spoke about before. I mean, and we don't want to go back to other codes, but we, we need someone who's running the show to actually tell us and come out there and make a statement. Now, he can be wrong. There's, there's no problem with being wrong, but to actually show the confidence that people will believe and follow, I, th- I find that important. And we're not getting any of that. And there's got to be a group of people that are actually making these decisions and where they know what the holdup is, but they're not telling anyone. Talking of uh, leadership, uh, the sale of the Newcastle Jets has unfortunately fallen through this week. The potential owners uh, have walked away after uh, the club was, and this is according to a report in the Sydney Morning Herald this week, the club was unable to produce audited financial accounts for the last two years. That's Mm. a big concern, isn't it? How on earth has the club been able to get away with with not producing uh, financial reports for the last two years? And who's in their right mind, Simon, who would buy a business that doesn't show you or give you the ability to look into how the club has been run over the past couple of years to get a, an accurate understanding of the costing of running a football club? Mm. Um, for me, it's a, again, it's a, a, a big mess. I mean, you should actually take the licence away from Newcastle Jets if we're, we're going to be strong to, to what... Uh, the football league and what it delivers and, and the administration and all those kind of things. The flip side, uh, and this is the, the, the delicate situation with it, is going into uh, a year where broadcast deals coming to, to an end and, and a new broadcast deal, what that potentially can look like. It, it's, it's a hard one to juggle because you know, Newcastle Jets being involved in the A-League is probably still going to be important to generate a better broadcast deal. But catch-22 uh, yeah. seems a big mess. It's, it's an important region for the A-League, um, and yet at the moment it has no owners, no coach. Uh, obviously owes uh, apparently several million dollars. Uh, it would appear that there is no option spider if uh, the other clubs are going to be this independent competition and you're only as strong as your weakest link. The other clubs are going to have to take over. And in fairness, they have indicated their willingness to do that so, mm-hmm. until a new yeah. owner is found. And th- this is the beauty for me, and this is, a, this is a great sign of how many people want the game to develop and eventuate. So we all know who the money people are that are running these clubs. Wanderers, very powerful. Sydney FC, very powerful. Victory, very powerful. Melbourne City, very powerful. Now, there's no hiding behind those. Western United, to a degree now, I would say, are in a good position. So these clubs, if they want the game to grow, and I'm sure they do, these owners are going to have to dip into their own pockets. And that, for me, is a great great sign to hear that they're willing to help and dig into their pockets. But the only worrying thing is, for me, is how long can these people keep propping the league up or propping these clubs up? They actually need to be run properly. 
Yeah. And, 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 and very, very quickly, Simon, the issue for me, again, when you're talking about investing in a football club, in Australia, what are you actually getting? Because clubs don't own stadiums, they don't own training facilities, and they currently uh, own, the, own the players, which we don't have a, a, a trend or, or a natural pr progression for these players of consistently selling uh, to make the money generated through, through sales. So the license, is it 5 million, is it 10 million, is it 15 million? But what are you actually getting? Well, this is the chicken and egg uh, situation again, which goes back to our initial question, because that will change once the clubs get independence. <laughs> but until they get independence, it's not an attractive proposition. I mean, goodness me, you could bang your head against a brick wall for the next three months, I think, on all this. Um, in Vince Regari's story uh, this week, just to, I think you alluded to this, Maury, an interesting line saying some elements on the FFA uh, board did feel that the best way was mm. to strip the license from Martin Lee, withdraw the Jets from the A-League, and perhaps bring them back uh, the following season, although that would have made for a very uh, lopsided uh, A-League once again. Um, in the interim, you know, we, we should also pay tribute and, and give a lot of credit to Laurie McKenna, who's, I think, virtually kept the club alive yeah. single-handedly uh, over the last mm. few months. It's, it's a miracle, really, that they're still going. Yeah, and look, Laurie, Laurie, we know how hard he's, he's always worked and um, his love for the game. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very, very tough task. But, you know, to keep Newcastle in a position where hopefully they can present to somebody. But at the end of the day, it's not down to, to Laurie McKinna. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously trying to do his very best. But it's a situation that needs to get sorted out because ownership, um, you know, it needs to be strong ownership. Clubs need to be run correctly. And if they're not, there should be punishments. It happens all, all, all throughout the world. Um, because you have to set standards. The, the bar needs to be set at some stage. Um, talking of the A-League, uh, the A-League New Boys, a story on FTBL this week. Uh, Spider MacArthur have registered the name the MacArthur Bullpen on the 9th of December as a part of their club. A statement from the club says, we're of the opinion that the bullpen should adhere to normal regulatory standards as required by New South Wales Fair Trading. The bullpen needs to have a constitution with normalised elections and any proceeds from merchandise and fundraising should go to the incorporated bullpen entity, not an individual bank account. Um, th this is an interesting uh, situation. I don't know whether the, the police have advised uh, MacArthur on, on moving their active supporter group to a different part of the ground as well, but... It seems to me that control of, of active supporter groups is, is not necessarily the way forward when you, you're trying to generate that atmosphere. Would you agree? Well, I mean, the Wanderers had it with the RBB. So is that is that what they're trying to do at MacArthur? I, I read that, Simon, and I had no idea what... I had. I couldn't make sense of it. So as way, pay, way above my pay grade, I couldn't make sense of it. So can you make more sense of it for <laughs> me? I think that the fact is, is that if the club officially registers names such as the MacArthur bullpen, um, mm -hmm. then the feeling from the supporters is that they're trying to control the, the active yeah. supporters. That, that's their complaint. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily the intention of MacArthur FC, but... And that's what the, the supporters are, are complaining about this week. And, and they would have a reason to complain if that was the case, Simon, because um, the supporters of any football club have got the right to support that football club, to voice their concerns, their opinions, and to be independent. Um, so, yeah. again, we don't maybe know the, the ins and outs of it, but controlling 
is something we've seen too much in Australia. Uh, and I'm, I'm very much for the, uh, your own opinion, especially when you're supporting a football club. Just in general, I mean, obviously, I'm not originally from Australia. I've always found it quite strange that the active supporter groups seem to be these um, entities. For, for me, growing up, you, mm. you went and supported your team and you sang or you didn't. Mm. Um, yes. And it was as simple as that. But <clears throat> it seems to be a lot more formalised uh, in Australia. But they do provide that point of difference for our sports. And they need to be encouraged, in my opinion, in every possible way within the limits of the law uh, to be able to express that support for their clubs because that is ultimately that noise that uh, atmosphere spider is is what um, brings people to the games it attracts people yeah look I mean people have a love for the club and once you choose a club that is your club so Mm. you know this I don't know whether we follow, we're following other codes or what we're doing or how it's working in Australia. It's, mm. I, I'll be honest with you, I actually find it even strange to understand because we've yeah, probably yeah. not been brought up like that. So I'm actually trying to get across it and we all know how digital savvy I am. So I've got no idea. Uh, like if I wanted to be a MacArthur bullpen, I wouldn't even know how to get in there. But Spides, I think it's kind of something like if you're going to have that can control from clubs or that ability to be able to work closely with your supporter active group, then it's more along those membership kind of models, you know, the Bundesliga model, yeah. uh, that, that, that kind of model where, okay, yes, we're going to work with you. Um, yeah. and, and there's going to be good communication and there's uh, the opportunity for fans to invest in that football club. That probably works. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would work. Yeah. Well, let's let's hope they can uh, they can sort that out because we need uh, Macarthur to be a success on and off the pitch in this uh, coming A League season. Uh, signing news for the new campaign: we're going to have five Asian players in the A League this season. It's not a Good. huge amount, but it's it's more than we've it's had good. in the last few years. All Japanese. Uh, the latest, Mori Masato Kudo, who's joined Brisbane mm-hmm. Roar. He's still only 30, 66 goals for Kashiwa Racehall and four caps yeah. for his national team. I think that's a good signing. Good age, Simon. Uh, I spoke to Spider during the week uh, about how well uh, Asian players have done in Australia uh, because we know that technically they're very good. Uh, and in regards to um, adjusting to you know, training methods or what have you, look, they've worked a lot harder from uh, countries where they're coming from and they normally contribute very well to our league. So I'm actually quite excited. Uh, you know, five players this season. Um, you know, would have loved to have seen it happen earlier if I'm being honest, but that's been due to the, to the financials because we know how hard it is to get the best players in Asia to Australia uh, in terms of finances. That's an interesting point, actually. That I think that's a common conception, isn't it? I don't know whether it's a misconception, but that Asian players are, in inverted commas, uh, too expensive for us. And yet there are mm-hmm. bargains out there. There are players... Yep that can be enticed to Australia. It just leads me on to a more general point. Spider, interested in your take on this. On the 1st of January, 2021, um, and I I do confess there is an ulterior motive for for this question because I have written an article on this for the Optusport website this week. It will be 15 years since we joined the Asian Football Confederation. Overall, Mm. in your opinion, has it been a good experience for us? I think we'd probably say it has been, but also for them. Well, I think for us it has been because we've developed and we're trying to catch up uh, and grow. I think they were well ahead of us before. 
I think what have, what have we added to the AFC? Uh, Maury touched on it a couple of weeks ago on the pod. Is this they they want to beat us because we we think we are a big big country in Asia. We think we're massive, but the Asians think of us as a small country. So for us, I think it's good. Can we grow on it? Should we be better? We should be much better. Bringing Asian players to the A-League, I think is fantastic. Can we, can we jump in and get some uh, sponsorship dollars? Can we create interest from these Asian countries and these Asian players that come and play in the A-League? I, I think we've we got to work on things. Our A-League's struggling at the moment, Simon. So that, that's, a, that's another big problem. And I think, uh, Simon, as well, and you'll know better than me, and it might even be in your article, I'm not sure, but what, what have we given them? Um, so I think that's the part where, in terms of, you know, commercially and how many people in Australia have really um, taken towards our involvement in Asia and therefore contributed to, to the growth of, of, of businesses. Um, so yeah. those corporate dollars probably not flowed from Australia through to, to Asia. Absolutely, they haven't. Uh, and that does indeed, you're right, form a part of the article. So look out for that one uh, this week. Uh, I guess it's cultural in many ways, isn't it? And uh, unfortunately, I don't think we have uh, grown the Asian brand, if that's even a thing, uh, in terms of awareness well enough in this country. Uh, and it remains a cultural outlier. Talking of culture, uh, one thing that Australians do understand very easily is uh, state of origin, certainly on the eastern seaboards. And we saw the return of uh, state of origin style football games between uh, MPL reps from Queensland and New South Wales at the weekend. Uh, the naming of trophies after legends, the Watson O'Connor Cup for the women, the Gibb Masters Cup for the men. Uh, and they were good games as well, both ending in draws and going to penalty shootouts and uh, Queensland winning the women's and New South Wales winning the men's. Winning the I men's. the games. Did, did, did either of you watch them on MPL TV? I did. I, I watched the, uh, the men's game and I, I think it's a great initiative. Uh, yeah. And what, once again, because these guys that are playing in the MPL, they are trying to maybe get to the A-League. This is an appreciation of the season <coughs> that they've had playing for their clubs in the MPL and to actually play for their state and to represent mm -hmm. their state because, uh, you know, they're not going to go on and play for the Socceroos or something like that. But to actually be able to represent their state in an MPL All-Star game like that is, is fantastic. I, I thought it was a great initiative. I think it should come back. And yeah. I think it'll even grow. No, nah, it will. Tops. And Simon, what was, the, what was the crowd? Was it a decent crowd? Yeah, it was a decent crowd. Um, unfortunately, the weather was a bit inclement in Brisbane on uh, on Saturday. It uh, hammered down with rain for much of the afternoon. But uh, yeah. yeah, the the Bill Waddell stand on the far side was was reasonably full. Uh, obviously, full. the hills were a bit emptier because of the weather with no cover. Yeah. But um, I think overall the concept uh, went down very very well indeed. And it's, it's the first time it's been uh, played in 17 years for the men, mm. 15 yeah. years for the women. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So it's, it's great that it's, it's been uh, brought back. And just one point I wanted to make on this. You know, on, on Saturday, ahead of calling these games, I actually took a trip down to Sir Joseph Banks Park in, in Botany, which is where the very first um, state of origin game in football was played in 1890. Um, still cool. a lov lovely grass surface there. It's still used for sport um, where, where the two teams played. There is a, mm -hmm. a plaque on the sides of the field that commemorates the Botany Bay Gift, which is an athletics race, and the first game of rugby league, which was in 1908. 
and there's nothing for football again. Yeah. What a as, shock! As per what a shock. Yeah. We are expunged, yeah. ignored from history, and yet our game took place 18 years, 18 years before, before the first 18 game years of, before. of rugby league. So mm. I know the FFA are aware of it and are hopefully going to try and do something about it. But these are the sorts of things that build culture over the years and build that sense of belonging, intrinsic mm-hmm. belonging. Mm-hmm. you agree? Yeah. No, no, I, to- I, I, I to- agree. To- totally. totally agree. Okay. Um, Nikita Rukovica is our next talking point. Uh, he's on a heck of a run at the moment, although he did come to an end last week. He failed to score for the first time in 14 matches Thanks. for Maccabee that's, Haifa. That's uh, terrible form, is it? That's terrible form. <laughs> <laughs> drop him. Uh, is he in for a Socceroos recall? He's 33, um, but he's got 14 goals, five assists in 12 games this season albeit in the Israel Premier League. I don't know what the standard's like over there. Yeah. 22 good goals standard. last season. Spider? Good, yeah. good standard. Yeah, and, and Maury's right. And th- this is the thing. He's always been a very good player. And people in Australia like to say, oh, he's playing in Israel. Let me tell you, the Israel League is very strong. And to be yes. able to score that many goals in consecutive matches, players in the A-League don't do it. Players in the NPL don't do it. So it's not easy. Mm. It doesn't matter what league you play in. Uh, he's playing for a very good club. He's always been a good player. Probably didn't shine uh, in Australia like he could have when he was at Wanderers. But what has happened, he's developed as a player. He's found the right league. He's found the right team, the style. And it suits him down to a ground. And he's doing fantastically. And 33 is not old, Maury, as you know. No. Look, the question that Simon asked is, is he somebody that could be selected or be looked for the Socceroos? Yes, 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 for me. Um, for me, he's a must spot. He's, he's, he's the only player that's playing regularly um, and, and scoring goals. And one thing that Nikita Rukovica has got and has always had, and is always a threat to any team you play against, and you love this word, Spides, piss. He's got speed, mate, uh, which is always going to potentially hurt teams. He's matured a lot as a football player. He scores goals. He's playing in a decent league playing football. So he's a red-hot chance for any Socceroos national team, whenever that may be. Whenever that may be. Um, Talking of national teams, uh, are Matildas, or at least a handful of them, involved in the UEFA Women's Champions League uh, during the week and will be again this coming week. Uh, Sam Kerr missed out on a Champions League debut uh, through injury as Chelsea breeze past Benfica in their first leg of the round of 32. Um, Ellie Carpenter making a Champions League debut for Lyon as they edged out uh, Juventus 3-2 in Italy, and Alex Chidiak on the bench for Atletico Madrid as they uh, defeated Servette of Switzerland by four goals to two. Uh, looking forward to watching those girls in action again in the second legs of those ties this week. All right, let's uh, head overseas. London calling. London calling. Let's start in Europe, actually, with the racism row, guys, that engulfed the Paris Saint-Germain Basak-Shahir game in the Champions League during the week. The players from both teams walking off in support of Pierre Weibo, who was allegedly referred to in a racist manner by the fourth official. Is this football's line in the sand moment when both teams walk off and say, no, we're not copping this anymore? Is this the line in the sand moment that football needed? Look, I, I, it, was, it was a bad situation. Uh, I'm not defending the linesman. 
or fourth official. Uh, I don't know if it was deliberately said in that way, if it was just said in a way of, it was just wrong and it all blew up and both teams, I think, made a stance. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, you hate to see things like this and you would think with all the promotional stuff that we've done about racism and people would understand and then something like this happens and it blows up again. And uh, It's terrible. We can't control what people say. Like they're individual people saying certain things. You can't control that. You'll never be able to control that. But it was a sad case of events, that's for sure. Did you guys ever come across experience, witness racism during your playing careers? Obviously, you're, you know, you're two guys who are probably not going to be on the, mm. on the wrong end of it. But mm-hmm. did, did you bear witness to, to racism during your playing Ach- careers? I've heard like throughout my my career, so I mean like the, the the throwaway comments. But um, again, it's kind of like it's through a, a a respect or trust or a relationship. And I think it's when it's taken, um, you know, the the wrong way and and said in a nasty uh, kind of way. Look, the way I've been brought up um, is like respect everybody. We, there's there's many different cultures, there's many different races, but be respectful it, it for me it's it, it costs it costs you nothing but it's something that unfortunately we still do see in football and um, i'm hoping that with this situation simon you're right that you know potentially now that um more work is done and, and aligned um, you know in, in the sand kind of moment because it's unacceptable um you know the the, the current day that we live in like i says it doesn't matter what color you are it doesn't matter where you come from it's about respect yeah, Here's, it, that sort of leads me on to my next point, and this is a very tricky one to answer, mm, I think. Um, yeah. This happened in the same week, of course, as some Millwall and Colchester fans booed the taking of the knee by players ahead of matches, which has been mm-hmm. sort of prevalent right across the UK and many parts of Europe as well. The English Football League now saying they are considering scrapping the gesture as it's too closely associated with the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. The Millwall and QPR players stood together when uh, they played each other last week. This is a tricky one, isn't it? Because for me, technically, if you stand for freedom of speech, then those booing, however abhorrent some of us may find Mm. their views, and I do, but they have a right to an opinion. So this is very, very tricky, isn't it? Sport has to tread a very fine line when it comes to... um, acknowledging or, or being a part of uh, political or, or cultural movements. Yeah. But the two are inextricably linked, aren't they? Everybody says sport and politics don't mix. Of course they mix. Oh, they my God. Who, say, who says that? They're who a part that? of society. Yeah. yeah 100%. And no. it's a really tricky one, Simon. You're spot on because, you know, we're talking about colour. We're talking about race. We're talking about religions. Uh, it's really, really difficult. We're trying to unite the game. Everyone in the world plays football. So we're trying to unite the game. And like mm. you say, there is a freedom of speech. So <laughs> you can't control, again, what everyone yeah. says out there. So it, it yeah. really is hard. And I think by continuing to do certain things like that, I sort of think we keep provoking it. Um, and we're going to keep having incidents, which, which mm-hmm. worries me. And players are now, I think players now are starting to feel like 
come on, let's just get on with the game and let's not yeah. point the action to this. Well, it's some players, right yeah, yeah, some players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it, for me, it's, it's also, it's that ongoing education, isn't it? We've seen a lot of that now and hopefully we continue to see a lot more of that because the more that we can educate people, the more that we can make people aware of what their words um, can actually mean to, mm. to certain people. Uh, Simon, but as you say, with that freedom of speech, you can't discourage that as well because, um, you know, that is the, the, the right of, of every person to be able to express exactly how they feel. It's a tough one, isn't it? Really mm. tough. It is, a, it is a tough one. And just to finish off on a lighter note on that subject, I don't know whether you've seen the, um, the Crystal Palace uh, Spurs game. But Son, the, the, Son, <laughs> Son, Son, off, that was Son, Son and, and Ben Teke, um, obviously just before they were about to take the knee, they're facing each other thinking that the whistle, it's, it's game on. So Son's trying to wrestle with, with Ben Teke, who's trying to make a run in behind him. And once the whistle's gone, <laughs> then, then they've realised they've had to take the knee. Uh, and it, it, was actually, it was actually quite funny to see. Comedy so I just goals. wanted to finish, finish, finish that on a, on a line Comedy note, goals. That, that subject. Yeah. Comedy goals. Um, unfortunately, I've got to bring you back down to earth again. Sorry about that. Um, before we move on to talk about the Premier League, uh, the passing this week of two more high-profile ex-footballers. Uh, um, Alex Sabella, who took Argentina yeah. to the World Cup final in Brazil, 2014. And Paolo Rossi, Spider, obviously your close connections with uh, Italy. Score of that brilliant hat-trick against Brazil at uh, the yeah. 1982 World Cup. Um, and, and incredibly, would you believe that Rossi's family home was burgled? during his funeral this week. Sickening. It's Sickening. just unbelievable, isn't it? It shows that people in this world, and I'm not saying everyone, but some people really have no morals. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's, it, it's terrible. You, you look at, uh, you know, Palaros, but again, he's, he, he was only, he's, he's only young, wasn't he? He's, he's not that old, 62, yeah. 64, yeah. 64. I mean, golden, golden boot, Ballon d'Or, um, you know, Spider's probably more your, because uh, you're, you're a little bit older than me. I mean, I remember bits and pieces of the 82 World Cup. Uh, but again, it's very young. Um, and, and unfortunately, another uh, bit of bad news, uh, even, you know, in terms of, is it Sabella? Uh, 60, 66, Simon, yep, as well. Not, right. not, not very old at all. You know, was somebody that I experienced in English football, I think, with, with Sheffield United and, and Leeds. But unfortunately, we're losing people at such a, an early age nowadays. It's been a horrific year. It really has. Well, I'm older than both of you, and I do, uh, I do remember Alex Sabella coming to England in 1978. They'd literally only just relaxed the rules on foreign players coming into uh, the top division in England, and Sabella was one of the first, along with Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa, who yes. signed yeah, uh, for Tottenham. Of course, you know, went on to win the FA Cup and were much more famous than Sabella was, but Sabella was a terrific footballer for Sheffield United, then he went to Leeds. Uh, and mm. then, of course, it's a, a very player? good coach. Yes, yes. All left peg as well. Uh, terrific uh, balance, super player. Um, and he went on to have a good coaching career, obviously, with, uh, with the national team in Argentina as well. So yeah. our condolences to, to the families of both. Yes. And the football world, again, is poorer. Launch. Uh, they're, yeah. they're passing. Um, On-pitch action, guys. Uh, the Manchester derby was the headline actor this weekend, but, oh, dip. Mm. Snore what draw. Snore draw. Go on, Spider. Boys, seriously. Now, if the crowds are not playing a part, then I don't know what is. 
because that was a training ground mm. performance between two teams with no crowd, with nothing to lose. There was no crowd to just get up off their chairs and scream when someone had a throw in or when the attacking team had a goal kick or when there was a, you know, uh, a tackle getting flown in to, you know, there was no extra well, was, it, was, was it tackles? Was it tackles in that game? I, I think Mate, Roy, it, Keane was, <laughs> Roy Keane wasn't happy in, well, in adding two yellow maybe, cards maybe, to Derby. Maybe Roy Keane should have just been uh, plonked behind the, one of the goals and, and t- told to berate them to get on with it. Uh, Mate, you know what? Both, both teams were tactically very well structured. But yes. there was no intent in the game. There was no intent yeah. to go out and win. And you know what the scary mm. thing was, guys? That at the end, when the whistle went, it seemed to me that both managers were happy with it. Relieved. Relieved. Well, I think, you know, certainly United, after the week that they had, uh, they went out of the Champions League after the loss to RB Leipzig. There's a lot mm. of questions over the, uh, the future of Paul Pogba as well. Um, even though they were at home, I think that point you know, potentially saved Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job. I don't know whether you agree with that. City are uh-huh. going through a, a, a real sort of revamp under Pep Guardiola. Gary Neville says that they're a pale shadow of the team that won the last two championships. Is he right? You're you missing a 25 goals a year striker. And mm. that's killing you at the moment. And mm. you know mm. what? They get the big bucks for that. You're missing it. You just play the old nice football. You get to the final third. Is create chances, but you don't have that potent goal striker, and uh, that's that's a big problem for Man City at the yeah. moment. Still play nice, still got all the quality of footballers, but that that final third, you are missing it. Yeah, it's not good at the moment. Uh, could be worse though, Maury. Could, we could be Arsenal. Um, four mm. straight home losses. The latest to Burnley. Gee, Mikel Arteta is going to be under the pump this next few days. Yeah, this one was was yucky poo. Um, you know, to lose to, to lose at lose at home to Burnley, who who have struggled. Uh, being honest, but have struggled all season. Let's be honest. Uh, another another sending off, Simon. So you know, when things haven't been Grand going tracker. for Arsenal, yeah. their their discip- discipline seems to um, go. Um, so that that's a concern. Um, look, I, I really like Mikel Arteta, but. Um, obviously, you're at a, a massive football club like Arsenal, and big things were expected. Improvement on the back of you know what he'd done last season, leading into this season. But um, you know, what's that? Four defeats at home. This Four straight season, you know, losses. The first time since 1959 that's happened. I love that stat, Simon. Good one. But I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's just not good enough for a, for a club like uh, Arsenal, and uh, it is a concern. Look. I don't know the, the none of us know the ins and outs behind the scenes, but how big does it seem the now in terms of the call on Meza Ozil not being involved in that football team? Mm, good show. And Arsene Wenger's been vocal this week in uh, sticking his oar in and maybe adding to the pressure on Arteta's spider by saying uh, he's not difficult to manage. You just, you know, got to handle him the right way. It, it all seems to be conspiring against uh, Arteta and the, the fact that Aubameyang is, is so horribly out of form and Lacazette, his two main strikers really and provider of goals, is adding to the, to things. You know what I find incredible guys, you know when Sir Alex left Man United, they were stinking for years and True. now you know, and then you know you see someone like Wenger leaves Arsenal and he's left a legacy there, whoever mm. come in after him is going to be paddling and we all spoke mm. about it at the beginning of the year. Arsenal looked better. Arteta got them mm. playing better towards the end of the season. Season started and they're back to a shambles that they were. Uh, 
look, I don't know if you'll last because you guys know better than me. Arsenal's one of the big four in England and they should be mm-hmm. up there. And if they're not fighting to be in the top four, Arsene Wenger, 17 years in a row, was in the top mm-hmm. four in England. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, and, and we're looking at who's, who's uh, the major or the top goal scorer at the moment for, for, for Arsenal. Is it, is it Eddie uh, Enketia, yep. who's played something, some, he's played something like, I don't know, 161 minutes. He's, a, he's the top goal scorer for Arsenal this season. Aubameyang is a great player. We know how good a goal scorer he is. But Spides, he keeps taking up these positions down the channels, down in these wider areas. They need him in the box. 100%. He's a number nine, mate. He needs to be central and wait, wait to get the service and score. Uh, maybe he's doing... Maybe the way Ateta wants to play, he wants him to do a lot more work. I'll give you a perfect example. Christian Vieri, when he played for Inter Milan, number nine goal scorer. Stood up front, yeah. middle, waited for the service, scored goals. Every year scored 20, 25 goals. He'd come to Milan and he'd have to work his bollocks off for the team. And that needs to say to me, he goes, Man, I can't score anymore because I've got to do too yeah. much work here. When I get a chance to score, I'm tired and I'm not taking my chances. And that's what's happened, I think, to Arsenal, to Obama Young, Lagazette. They're, they're very good players. Mm. Maybe a rethink required from Mikel Arteta. Here's an interesting one. When do you reckon the last time, and I don't know the answer to this, this is a rhetorical question. Um, the big six, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, City. and not one of them, one this weekend, not one. I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer to it, but it's and, an interesting. And uh, the same, crazy <laughs> year, crazy crazy year, and you're going. For me, Liverpool and Tottenham have been, the, you know, the most consistent teams in the EPL. But then they both drop points today against teams that you're going. Well, they, they shouldn't be dropping points there. It's just. Mm. Yeah, you just scratch, just scratch your head, stuff, Simon. But that, in terms of the top six, when when they they've not. Well, none of them got a win in, in a particular weekend. I don't know when that would be. Yeah, Mate, I, Long I, time, I, reckon. For the pe- I feel sorry for the people that are out there trying to have a punt and collect a multi. Who might that be, Spider? Who might that be, mate? You've actually got no chances. People scratching their heads out there going, mate, how's that possible? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. A um, couple of questions from elsewhere before we finish this particular segment. Uh, Maury, I want to come to you on this one. Story from yes. Scotland, where you're living at the moment. Uh, the Aberdeen yes. chairman, Dave Cormack, urging Celtic to rethink their refusal to join this long-mooted Atlantic League involving 20 teams from Scotland, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, yeah, Ireland. Yeah. Um, it's a plan that has the backing of JP Morgan, projected income of up to 400 million euros. Is this a go of this competition? And it also has the backing of UEFA, I believe. Yeah, Simon. interestingly. Uh, interestingly, because this is something normally, when they talk about the, the Super League and all that sort of stuff, that I'm not sure whether it's UEFA or FIFA, uh, but there's been always heavily against something like this. Look, I know why the Scottish clubs would want to be involved. 
they'd have something to do with a three or 400 million broadcast deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Celtic, uh, for whatever reason at the moment, I think Dermot Desmond has, has kind of um, said, nah, it's not for us. They want to be in a um, British league, don't they, Celtic? Yeah, yeah, so I don't know. But look, I have heard um, a bit of a murmuring, you know, that this is something that um, has some legs. There, It's genuine in terms of, you know, the Scottish clubs that have been linked to it um, are definitely looking to, to try and proceed with something like this because I believe that the money they can get from the broadcast obviously will filter down and, and, and hopefully make improvements to the, the rest of the, the football. It's been on the agenda for quite a few years now. It'll be interesting to see if they can finally get it off the ground with Celtic or without them. Uh, finally, one for you, Spider. Um, Qatar announced this week that they will play as a guest team in the European qualifiers for the World Cup in 2022. They're going to play friendly matches as a shadow team in Group A against whichever side has a free date on a given match day. The group involves Serbia, Ireland, Luxembourg, Azerbaijan, and Portugal. They're also going to take part in the Copper America in 2021 mm-hmm. and the CONCACAF Gold Cup as guest team as well. They're going to play in every single tournament in the world to get ready for this oh, World it's, Cup. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable. And it just shows to you how much has the game changed? Like, I mean, Australia was supposed to go to the... Um, Copper America. Copa, yeah. The Copper America. We've been binned from that. Qatar's going... Uh, they're playing in I, they're going anyway. no, Just to, going just to anyway. correct that, Spider, they, they, Australia haven't been binned. Uh, Qatar were going anyway. Australia were also invited as a guest team. Yes. Uh, I'm just not 100% sure whether Australia is going to be able to go uh, because mm-hmm. there's the Olympics and World Cup qualifiers. So, anyway, yeah. Yeah, continue. continue eh? and <laughs> I, I, just think it's inc- I just think it's incredible that these countries are playing all these tournaments outside their confederations. Uh, yeah. I don't feel it's right, Simon, to be honest with you. So what about Australia being in Asia? Well, I mean, us being in the Asian Federation, I think that's where we should be. I think we should be in the Asian Federation. But we weren't historically, were we? Historically, we weren't, no. Uh, But I think I I really find it amusing to see. It's all about money. For me, it's got nothing to do with the game anymore. It's all to do with money and what suits... Do, do you think all, do you think this was maybe maybe something that was already in place in terms of um, I mean Qatar have obviously got the 2022 World Cup and um, they they're probably they're, they're getting favours from a lot of people that may, maybe uh, there was there was some some certain situations I, yeah, previously I think, Simon I think there's a part of it uh, I think obviously the fact that you know they are acting as hosts, not just for the World Cup in 2022, but they've just hosted the Asian Champions League um, uh, group stages. And they're still, uh, you know, going all the way through to the final. Um, The the Club World Cup they're offering to host, you know, they've obviously got a lot of influence in world football. And yeah, you're right. Money sort of buys a lot of that. But I think (laughs) at its its basis level, this is about getting their team ready not to embarrass themselves on the world yeah, yeah, stage, yeah. on home soil, in front of a watching globe in 2022. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's right. They're playing in all these overseas yeah. tournaments. But um, mm-hmm. it's an interesting strategy. And, uh, yeah, they've come a long way, to Look, be fair, in, their, in terms of their football, haven't they? Well, it's the Brazilian <laughs> B team, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it is. But Spides, they're, they're a very, very good side. And I know that they're you say that maybe, you, 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 maybe that you don't agree with it. But... Um, and, and again, that, that's, I've got no issue with that. What I will say is, um, 
that Qatar have been absolutely outstanding in terms of utilizing their networks. Because, yeah, Simon, you, you touch on it. In terms of, mate, I'm actually a little bit envious in terms of the pull and the, and, and the creativity and the power that they've had to uh, enable their national team to have such preparation for a World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, it would be nice, obviously, if we could do the same thing. But uh, whether Australia will play in that Copper America uh, in 2021 remains to be seen. All right, so thanks for the moment, guys. Let's move on to our final segment for the day. And another special guest awaits us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Wollongong in 1981 and began his footballing life with the Wollongong Wolves. He headed overseas as a 17-year-old to play for Middlesbrough, where he made his Premier League debut in 2002 against Southampton. In 2003, in search of regular football, he joined Bristol City, where he stayed for three years before a switch to Holland with Twente Enschede in 2006. From there, he played in Russia for Dynamo Moscow twice, Terek Grozny, back in Holland for Feyenoord, and then finally back home in the A-League for Sydney FC. He won 80 caps for Australia, appearing at two World Cups and two Asian Cups, and he's now the head coach of his old club, Wollongong Wolves, where he's already won two trophies. And on Saturday, he added a third as New South Wales beat Queensland in the return of the interstate clashes after a 17-year absence. It's a real pleasure to welcome Luke Wilkshire to our humble podcast. How are you, Luke? Good to see yeah, you, mate. Yeah, good day, No, I'm well. I'm well. Uh, been a busy weekend, but back at it and happy. <laughs> yeah, you sound a little bit hoarse. Uh, is that because you've been shouting think, or you've had a couple of beers? Early, night, it's been a big weekend. It's a bit early, mate. Um, uh, <laughs> the change of the weather, I think, as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how was the trip to Brisbane and the return of uh, the, the state of origin clashes, if you like? No, it's brilliant. I think um, the concept's fantastic. I think they'll, they'll look to build and, and grow that, which I think is, is unreal. The players really enjoyed it. They, um, they, they took it seriously, which was good. It was a good competitive game. And I think, um, you know, one for the fans to really enjoy as well. And things have gone uh, pretty well with Wollongong Wolves as well. Uh, won in, uh, you won the Premiership and uh, the NPL Final Series in 2019. You just, just missed out this time around. Yeah, no, I, I can't complain. I think um, I was obviously disappointed this year. We lost the Premiership on one goal, the goal difference, which was disappointing. But, but no, it's been, um, it's been exciting to, to work with a, a young group, which is a, a challenge. Um, but there's guys there that are thriving for an opportunity and, and you can see what they can do with it with a bit of hard work and guidance. Before we, uh, we move on to your playing career, Luke, um, we've got a fair few questions on that. I just want to stick with it, with the Wollongong Wolves theme for the moment. Uh, this year, of course, Wellington Phoenix are going to play in the gong due to COVID. Uh, do you see this as an opportunity to spruik the chances of the city getting an A-League club? Or do you feel you should already be there? And, and we had a Twitter question on this as well from George G. Uh, along similar lines, do you think the Phoenix being there is a test to expand to the area in the future? Uh, I guess it depends how you want to see it. It could be. I think um, if you start to see the likes of Wellington Phoenix being here in Wollongong a wind stadium and drawing crowds, um, you know, being not the team of the region, I think it shows clearly that there's that appetite for A-League football here. So, so you could say it's a test like that. Um, of course, it's going to be different. How, how could you expect people to get out and support Wellington Phoenix? Um, it's not Wollongong. Um, but those football diehards that, that want to see A-League football can 
I think will turn out, especially in the big games against Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory, which will show how much we're thriving for A-League football down here in our region. Is the City ready for the A-League, uh, Luke? And I'm talking about, obviously, the, the, the club as well. But there seems to be, um, and we're looking from the outside here, a fair bit of politics uh, about <laughs> football in Wollongong. What's going on politics. down there? Politics? What, what are you talking about, politics? <laughs> politics in football? <laughs> well, <there's, laughs> there seems to be some issues there, particularly at the moment, that, that you've been a little bit vocal about. What's going on down there in the gong? <clears throat> Yeah, look, there's no, no hiding from the fact that there's, there's um, a little bit of unrest, you could say, with with the way some things are, are run down in our region with, with Football South Coast and, you know, the local league clubs at the moment are having a bit of a, a, bit of a dog verge into the goings-on um, in the administrative side. And so, so look, we're, it's, things have got to change. We, we, we know that. I think everyone knows that. I think um, it's trying to find the way to, to make the change in, in the best way for, for the game going forward. I think that's the most important thing is that, that the people that are making these decisions have the, the game's interests um, first and foremost of their, you know, at the forefront of their decision-making. But it's about accountability, isn't it? And uh, we keep harping on about this, um, whether it be at regional level or at uh, national level. People who are in positions of power have to be held accountable. And that is, uh, in part at least, our job here in the media. And people sometimes don't like that, but it's the truth. Um, let's uh, go all the way back to your early days as a footballer, Luke. And that starts with uh, your days at the Wolves as a player. You're coming through the ranks. You've got Scott Chipperfield already in the first team and Miller Stajowski coming through the ranks, a couple of years older than you. Um, did you ever think that in 2006, all three of you from that same region would, uh, would be playing at a World Cup in Germany? No, definitely not. I think, um, you know, I think I only spent actually six months playing for the Wolves back in my junior years. Mm. I spent a lot of my time going up to New South Wales Institute of Sport and, and obviously the AAS. Um, but, but no, look, it's, it's a region that's, that's had players come through. Um, you know, obviously, obviously us three were probably the you know, noticeable ones. At the moment you've got Federici coming out of here as well. So there's mm. been loads of players. Um, there's a lot of talent down in the region. I think still there's a long way to go for our region to, to develop and to be able to produce more. Um, the infrastructure down there is not great, but, um, but there's definitely that talent. You went uh, pretty quickly overseas, Luke, as a teenager. How did the move to, to Middlesbrough come about? And, and do you remember that debut that I mentioned in the intro against Southampton? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, it came about, I was in the New South Wales Institute of Sport and received what's called a Big Brother Scholarship which got me over for a, for a month, which was paid for with one other. Um, and then, yeah, they wanted me from there. I kept in contact. I couldn't stay for visa reasons, come back to the AAS. Went over to uh, the Milk Cup uh, for a couple of weeks and to play just to, for them to see me again. Is, it, in, is that in Ireland, Lukey? Yeah, in Ireland. Cup? In Ireland. It's a, it's a top tournament, yeah? By yeah. all accounts. I went over there for two weeks. They hadn't seen me because I've been in the AAS for the year. I was 17. Mm. I could get my visa. I got a red card after about 30 odd minutes. I like you. That's, that's not like you, Luke. <laughs> yeah. then I, then I, received, I, I was devastated. And then, then my old man came up in my, my room and I got offered a three year professional deal. So there you go. Um, in your early days in the Premier League, I know you also got sent off against Arsenal for uh, a tackle on Robert Pires. Do you remember? Do you remember yeah, that two one? yellows. Two yellows. One on Lundberg, one on Pires. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but, but that Middlesbrough team at the time, um, you were playing with some terrific players. Obviously, Mark Schwartz, who we remember here in Australia, but there was Gareth Southgate, there was Alan Boxic, there was Jeremy, Hugo Echiog. Um, it was tough for you to get into that first team at, at Borough at the time. Yeah, it was at the time. Um, you know, so they were spending money. We had some some massive players at the club and, and that was sort of why I left. I'd, I'd made my way into the team and the fringe of the team, um, but I didn't feel justice was when Steve McLaren was there that I was performing. But the moment a senior player was back fit, I'd be shafted back out onto the bench um, or out of the squad. So I was, I was sort of filling in those gaps for him and doing well. And, and I didn't feel that I was getting rewarded for it. Also, I had an issue with my contract that I was meant to get extended. Um, so my reasoning to leave, yeah, I wanted to play regularly. But now some fantastic players. Um, but yeah, I was always that player who, who wanted to play. I wasn't happy to, to sit on the fringe of things. Lukey, I obviously uh, come across you early doors, 2004 Olympic Games, um, and you were, you were playing as a central midfielder then. Um, but obviously later on, uh, there was a switch obviously with your, with your position, uh, well, obviously with the national team. When, when was it you made that, that switch to, to the right fullback position? And, and how did you find that adapting to a, to a new position at such a, a stage in your career? Yes, yeah, I, was, I was in probably... It would have been two, after the 2006 World Cup. Um, yep. I played also in midfield at the World Cup. And, yes. uh, Fred, Fred Rutten at FC Twente. Um, I played, started playing in midfield when he signed me and, and he sort of looked at me and just said, like, for you to go to another level, to a top level, um, mm-hmm. you need to go to a right back, a modern day right back. Um, yeah. You know, I took it on. I never liked to defend, but, you know, I made the most of the position. I enjoyed it, and you know, it was and it was it just turned into a modern day right back. The modern day right back goes forward and gets on the ball and creates as well. Mm-hmm. Look, you you were still in midfield when you moved to Bristol City from uh, Middlesbrough in an attempt to get that first team football that you were craving. I've seen you quoted in a, a, an article recently as saying the three years you spent at Ashton Gate were, and I quote, the worst of your career. Is is that true? And if so, why is that? Why is that? Was yeah, it just it the style true. of football? No, it is true. Um, it was frustrating. It was challenging. The style of football, yeah. Uh, the first year we expected to get promoted straight away. Um, you know, the, the, the manager got sacked. We had a few others and I ended up with a manager called Gary Johnson. Can I swear on this on this podcast? <laughs> I, you, uh, you of can. course you can. You can of course you can. Leave no. it out. <laughs> so, and he was just a little cockney fucker, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when we, I'd been playing regularly. My contract was running up. And when we, when we qualified, we had the game against Uruguay and qualified for the World Cup. So my contract was due to end just before the World Cup. So naturally, I saw an opportunity there. I didn't want, I didn't want to stay there. I wasn't happy. And he just, the moment I wouldn't sign my contract, he just done everything it could yeah. to break me, to break my chances of being involved in that World Cup. Um, so from playing regularly, I then ended up finding myself on the bench of the reserve team. Where, yeah, so I had a few run-ins with him and he yeah. ultimately in the end, it, um, it all came down okay. But, which is yeah. fascinating because even despite all that, Hus Hiddink still <laughs> showed faith in you, despite the fact that you weren't playing for a League One side. Uh, and picked you for the World Cup squad in 2006. And not only that, but started you against Japan in the first game as well. He was yeah. a real fan of yours, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah and, um, like I said, I was obviously naturally very very nervous leading into the, the selection and, and then obviously surprised to be starting the first game as well. But 
you know, I, I don't think I've ever worked so hard in my life um, in those six months, um, individually, personally, day in, day out, and then obviously mentally being challenged. But, um, but yeah, I was very grateful for the faith that he showed in me. Lukey, just there to, to touch on that particular squad, we've, we've obviously had a few guests on now and they all talk about um, just how happy that dressing room was and how that group of players were. You're a, you're a player that was coming in on the back of being uh, slightly lesser known to, to a lot of the, the bigger players, but can you explain a little bit what the atmosphere was like at that World Cup for you and how you integrated into the squad? Yeah, I, th- I think you said it there. It was a, it was a happy change room. The group was, um, yeah. was very collective, uh, had a common goal, was confident. Um, you know, it was easy to fit into a, to a group like that, even even being a younger player coming in. Um, I obviously, actually, you know, I'm with a lot of people. I, I'm pretty open. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was an enjoyable group to be around. They wanted to work. They wanted to win, that mentality to win, um, and togetherness. And you, you developed a, a, good, a good partnership with Brett Emerton down that right-hand side as well, didn't you? It was almost telepathic at times. Yeah, um, you know, we're pretty similar players. Uh, we both had a decent engine and could play right back or right midfield. So playing on that right side, we could, if one got caught up the field, could cover. So we had a, a good understanding there. Let's move back to your, your club uh, days for the moment before we return to the, the Socceroos. Uh, you moved to FC Twente. Um, there's a bit of a theme here, Luke. You were sent off on your debut against, <laughs> against Heracles. Well, what on earth happened there? I don't think it was a red car. I was, I was in the first half too, I think, as well. I, um, it was a local derby against Heracles. That helps. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to, to make, make myself known. So the guy was, he, it was his fault. He shouldn't have tried to run past me. Um, and then after Twente the the real interesting move I think for a lot of people came in 2008 all of a sudden you you swap uh, what is probably a a quite comfortable life in Holland and you you go to Russia to play for Dynamo Moscow you're the first Aussie to play in Russia I know it's a move that sort of really changed your life and I also know it's one that your mum didn't want you to make yeah Yeah, um, look I when I was there, I, um, there was a Russian player who actually retired from Twente when I went there. And um, Mitri Shukov, I think his name was. And he, he had a Dutch wife, so he'd stayed there. Um, and yeah, when we had, we'd had, obviously, back in a couple, two, two good years there, Twente and qualified for the Champions League four rounds against Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And I just recently signed in, in, at, at the end of the season, in March, a new contract. And uh, I received my signing on fee and everything was hunky-dory. And, and this offer opportunity company just turned up to training ground one day at an agent said, we've got a club in Russia for you. So I was obviously open to, to listen. I had a clause in my contract at 20, which they were happy to pay out. Um, McLaren tried to stop me from going. So I mean, he'd sell me back to the Premier League the following year if I stayed and I wouldn't give my money in Russia and all the rest of it. It's a little bit like yeah. what my mother was saying as well. <laughs> <laughs> he sort of said, I couldn't give a fuck how much money they're going to pay you. They can dare go to Russia. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, um, no, look, I, was, I, was, I just, my, my comment to them was I'm on the other side of the world as it is. So I'm happy to go and have a look. And I went over for three days. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing city. The club was fantastic. The facilities, the speaking to the president and the coach. And man, my mind was made up pretty easy. Lukey, it's obviously, I mean, a lot of people maybe don't know enough about the, the, the Russian league, but it's a, it's a very tough league. 
Um, obviously, and there's a lot of top talent that comes there as a starting point, especially South American, Brazilian types. Um, so you, you, you come up against absolutely wonderful players that maybe the whole of the world doesn't know yet, but there's some great talent that comes through that league, isn't there? Yeah, there's, there certainly is. I think um, you know, if you look over the years, some of the players that have come out of there, you know, the likes of Hulk. Um, yes. You know, there's massive players that go there. Kevin Karani, the Finnish top goal scorer in, in the German Bundesliga and, and come, was playing with me, Andre Verona, not play with. You know, so it's, um, it's a very, very tough league. Um, it's challenging with the travel, with obviously the climate. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a good challenge in uh, the city of Moscow is like no other. With, with the language, but how were how you with the language? And yeah, the language Because I mean, well. that's the barrier, obviously. Yeah, it was, especially the, the early days. I think nowadays there's a lot more English-speaking Russians going around than the new generation. But when I first went there, it was, it was challenging and we had translators. and So you picked up the, the words pretty quickly, the ones you need on the football pitch and to get by and, and to order a beer and things like that. <laughs> you, you said, uh, Luke, that the travel was, was challenging. A couple of questions about the league here. First of all, what was the worst trip you had to do? And secondly, once you've answered that one, what were the derbies like with Spartak? Were they a bit tasty? Yeah, the, the travel was, um, you know, so we'd, we'd be flying, we, had our, we used to fly on a yak, actually, the yak, whatever they were, in the back of the planes. And so it was a little bit, a little bit rough at times, but... Um, Oh, I think probably one of the worst. I didn't have to go to Vladivostok, thankfully. They got relegated um, <laughs> when I got there. That's a trip. I played in the home, which was good. So, but going somewhere like Tom's, it's four or five hour flight. It's freezing cold. The stadium is shite. And no, the hotel was crap. Or going to Grozny in the early days. Grozny, when I first went, we literally, you're like sleeping in a bunker. You, you know, you got um, people everywhere and it's... <laughs> so that's that's changing now also. Um, but yeah, and, and the Spartak derbies, the, the derbies were fantastic. It was always a great atmosphere, uh, massive rivalry. Like anyone, you know, boys who know I played in a, in derbies, always heated. Um, and I think we got up on most of them. You, you led me into the the next question quite nicely there. You played for Tarek Grozny in 2015. I remember reading this and thinking, what on earth is he going there for? It's a war zone. Um, why did you decide to move to Chechnya? And what was life like there? Yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting one. That's for sure. I think, um, <laughs> you know, when I'd come back from, from Holland, I, I was thought I was close to signing with dinner back at dinner in Moscow. Um, it didn't eventuate, and I wanted to obviously still be playing. Um, so that opportunity come up, and and again, like going to Russia, you know, the Grozny's changed. It's you know, it's it's actually quite beautiful. Um, the food is amazing, uh, and the club was great until they didn't want me anymore, and then I just had to get out of there as quick as possible. <laughs> 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 in the middle of all that, uh, Luke, you, you did mention that you'd moved back to Holland, which you did with, uh, with Feyenoord. You'd, you'd sort of chopped around a little bit. And yet, despite playing in the top leagues in Europe, in the Netherlands and, and then in Russia, um, you were ultimately cut from Ange Postacoglu's World Cup squad uh, for Brazil. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that particular topic, but um, it seemed to be a, a rather angsty time for you and for Ange and, and for the national team with regards to the, the, the cutting of, of those final few players for Brazil? Yeah, look, um, things happen for a reason and 
I played my part in that. Um, but I think it was it was pretty clear to me. I think it was, the moment Ange took over that he didn't really want me around. Um, and I don't know if that was due to my the way I play or my personality. But, um, but no, look, I, that things happen for a reason, I believe. And, you know, I don't hold any any grudges. I look back and, you know, I always, like I say, things, things happen. You look back and you know that, you know, that actually did me a favour. So, you know, as disappointed as I was, you know, I moved on. I, got, I went back to, to Moscow when my wife was pregnant and we had our, our first child together. So, yeah, we moved on from there. <laughs> Um, a Twitter question from Mark Chikamambo, uh, again on the Russian theme. What's the craziest thing you saw during your playing career in Russia, apart from the trip to Tomsk? <clears throat> craziest thing I've seen. Uh, there's a few. Craziest thing I've done. It's probably... Um, <laughs> Either or. <laughs> yeah. It was, well, it was, um, I was suspended for the cup final. I didn't realise in the semi-finals a yellow card away. We were playing against Ruben Kazan and who I had a, a guy who let's say had a personal vendetta against over the last over the last year or so. And um Adamenko, his name was. And we'd had a few few instances on the pitch and and I was caught up during the game, I was up in the game with the doctor watching and he scored the winner. So we lost. I was waiting for him in the tunnel and uh a little going in the tunnel. Uh, there was no cameras, but I still got suspended because there was enough witnesses. Who, who won the fight, Luke? No, no, it didn't happen for long. I got jumped. They were the people that me out. I don't know why they all said I'm all, all, all of the staff and the Ruben Kazan people all saying that I'm crazy. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, let's go back to the, the, the tail end of your, your playing career, which, uh, strangely enough, was back home in Australia with, with Sydney FC. Was that always your plan to, to finish off your career here? And you had a good year as well, winning the Cup and the Premiership, mm. although you did lose out yeah. to, to victory in the finals. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I had no, no plans to, to come back to Australia and live or to play. Um, I thought I'd retired. After my last team did, I got promoted back to the, you know, the Premier League in, in Russia, Russian Premier League, and I was on holiday in Thailand with the family, with the wife, mother-in-law, brother-in-law, and and I got a call um, from Paddy, Paddy Dominguez, and just said that, you know, obviously what had happened to Ryan Grant, and Arnie was reaching out, and if I'd be interested, my initial response was no, I'd be on a hide to nothing at my age, and come back after what they'd just done uh, with the back to back the double so and it wasn't until my wife and probably my brother sort of persuaded me to, to have a crack and that I could still do it um, yeah I was planning to go back to Australia for a couple of months to see my family with my kids so my wife saw it as okay it's a, it's a paid holiday except I had to work yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and you've always the case <laughs> not stopped since mate so uh, so yeah, you know, I, I just I knew if I did it, I had to do it right. I didn't want to come back, and, and I knew that if I didn't perform, and you know, I was I was going to cop it. Um, so I said, okay, I'll give it a crack one year, and and seemed to go all right. Lukey, was 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 it hard uh, considering what you've seen happen? Some of the other guys when they come back, did you have to really put your mindset and say, well, mate, I really have to work hard because I am on a hiding to nothing. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. That was why I was never in my mind to come back. I didn't want to. It's not, um, you know, I'd seen what had happened to others, and and I didn't want to sort of go out that way or have that. <clears throat> mm. 
but definitely had the, the mindset I had to work. Yeah, which you, <clears throat> you certainly did. Um, that leads us on to our Twitter question of the week. Uh, $100 voucher for Outback goes to Jovan this week. Um, Jovan says, you were indeed signed as a replacement for Ryan Grant when he had that uh, ACL injury in 17-18. Did you mentor him that year because he's been amazing since he came back? Did you offer some of your experience to him? Yeah, that, look, he's, Ryan, I was, um, he was already on his way up. I think he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great great guy. Um, he's got a great mindset. Um, you know, I think he's, he's done well to bounce back from what he's gone through and, and obviously mm-hmm. kicking on his... He's maybe at the point he, he I, I don't know whether he's missed the boat to go overseas or not. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to say that, Lukey. Has he has he got that? Has I don't he think got he wants to, does he? I don't think he wants to go overseas. Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, um, I, th- I think he does have enough. I think he could. Um, mm-hmm. But the challenging thing would be where and now at his age. And as you know, some some of the the top better clubs will be looking at probably younger players. Yeah, um, yeah, to, to go. Um, let's talk about the Socceroos. Uh, we did. We have touched upon them uh, once or twice already, but uh, you had plenty of highs and lows with your national team career. Uh, those two World Cups, two Asian Cups. Uh, you also missed out on the 2015 Asian Cup as well, which I'm sure you would have loved to have been involved in, given the Socceroos won it uh, at home. Uh, and, of course, the, the big win against Serbia in 2010 and Japan four years earlier. Um, what's your, what's your favourite memories of the national team is it that world cup in 06 or are there others yeah they're all good memories i think there wasn't a time that i went to camp apart from probably when Ange took over that i didn't enjoy it um you know i loved every 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 opportunity i got to to play um obviously for my country to pull on that shirt and, and to be around the, mm. the group of players and men that were, were in those squads i think um you know, so it's hard to pinpoint certain memories, but yeah, naturally the qualification against Uruguay in the 2006 World Cup was um, phenomenal. Yeah, there were great times, weren't they, for uh, the national team? And uh, you're a key part of that golden generation. Let's uh, finish off, Luke, with a couple more Twitter questions. Uh, this one from Albert Shepherd: Who was your most influential coach in your career and why? And I'll extend that one out and say, who was the best player you played with and against? Uh, influential coach, I probably had um, had two in terms of obviously Kusinik and the faith that he showed in me um, to to go to the World Cup and in the national team, and then Fred Rutten, who um, who converted me from that midfield position to a, to a modern day right back at FC Twenty. And um, and there's there's part of their coaching style in, in what you're doing now with the Wolves, is there? Would you say? Yeah, yeah there is. There is. I think. Um, you know, obviously Fred, Fred had worked under Gus as well at PSV as his assistant, so they had some similarities. Um, but there's definitely things in terms of what I'm doing that naturally you take out of those coaches that you've been with. And, you know, I go off, I, I definitely don't, don't manage or coach in the way that my Cockney fucker does go. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know not to act like the, the last thing I want is a player to be, um, feeling, have the opinion of me like that. <laughs> Um, and Luke, the best player you played with and against? Um, there's been a few. There's been a few. Um, when I played with Little Juninho at, um, at what a player! Was, what a player! But I still say I played with a guy, and a lot, not a lot would know him. He's a Bosnian player, um, Dresden Misimovic. 
We played at Wolfsburg with Jekko the year that Jekko scored a, a Jekko, yeah. Goals. Yeah. yeah. He was um, unbelievable. You give him the ball around four people around him, he wouldn't lose any. And if you looked at him, we saw him at Middlesbrough, and the first moment he came, he was in the he come, he was with room with Karani. He's taking his shirt off. Karani's just going, Fuck, come on, man, we're not a tempting bowling team. You look at him, honestly. But my God, he could play. He, he, he would chip the keeper from inside the six-yard box. He's just, he had everything. Um, yeah, he, was, he was just a special player. Very good player. Go on, Very Spider. Lukey, mate, I've got to ask you the question, mate. Uh, best stadium you've ever played at <laughs> and the biggest dungeon you've ever played at. <laughs> this, is, this is Spider's question of the week every single week <laughs> in this segment. <laughs> best stadium? Oof. My, my favourite stadium, yep. I, love, I love that Kaiserslautern Stadium where we, where we played that, that goes games yep. against Japan and um, and Italy up there in the mountain and and the atmosphere yep. that it created was um, it always sits in my head as one of the most my favourite stadiums to play in. Um, but those games and obviously special games for me personally. Uh, the worst, the dungeon, the dungeon, dungeon of all dungeons. There's there's been a few of them made over in, in early days in Russia. Um, I still remember that game in Tom's. Honestly, it was like a cow paddy, minus fifteen degrees. Oh, change room, no, no hot water. Um, <laughs> like it's just an open pitch, and that was, um, yeah. You know, after problem. every week after the show here, the dungeon gets that many hits on Google that it's scary. So Tom is <laughs> going to be number one hit on Google this week. <laughs> And your mum was right. I'm sure you were thinking that at uh, that particular point when you were in Tom's Luke. Um, f- final one before we let you go. Uh, we, we started out talking about your coaching career. Let, let's finish on that note. Um, you are on the rise as a coach. It, what's your ambition? Is it to coach in the A-League? Is it to coach overseas? Is it to coach the national team? Is it all of the above? No, I don't, I don't know. I'll, um, I'm going to take it as it comes. At the moment, I'm, I'm enjoying... I guess I'm in a fortunate role that I am here at Wollongong where... I've got, I can do things my way. Um, I've got great support with the board and, and I can do things in, in the right way, which is, you know, what I feel is best. So, you know, it's going to take something pretty good for me to, to move on and to leave. Um, mm-hmm. I'm enjoying sort of building what I am down here at the moment and where it takes me. You know, it's, it's like when you start out your football career, you never know where it's going to take you. Football. You're, not, you're yeah. not going to go back to Russia and coach? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the dungeons? Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll rule it out. I'll, I'll, look, that's that's one thing I would say that I would love to to one day be there and manage yeah. in Moscow. Yeah, brilliant, well, brilliant, Lukey. Yeah. Terrific. Hey, Luke, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. We really appreciate you uh, sharing your experiences, both as a player and as a coach. And I'm, I'm sure there's uh, plenty more to come in the technical zone. Wish you all the very best with the Wollongong Wolves and uh, whatever your your future career as a coach uh, has in store for you. Thanks, mate. Keep up the good work, Lukey. Well done, mate. Cheers, fellas. And that is us for this week. Join us for our pre-Christmas edition next week. Until then, from all of us here on the podcast, it's bye for now. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 